This is a sermon brought to you by Good News Bible Church, where we believe we should love God, love others, and make disciples. We are located in Chicago's Logan Square neighborhood and invite you to join our family live every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. as we praise and worship with songs and learn about God through the study of the Bible. You can visit our website at goodnewschi.org. That's goodnewschi.org. Let's turn now to hear what the Word of God has for us this week. To practice, we should, I'm sorry, we should not make it our aim. If we make it our aim, point A, if we make it our aim to practice love conditionally, we will not love others with the love of Christ. Point A, if we make it our aim to practice love conditionally, we will not love others with the love of Christ. Okay, I'll stop shouting now. I can hear my voice. So, <laughs> Thank you for enduring that, and I apologize. Um, but it was a spectacular team. They troubleshoot that through that very quickly and easily. So praise God for them. All right. Please read with me verses 11 through 12. And we're going to unpack what it says here. For this is a message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. For we should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's was righteous. Once again, John continues to bring it back to not only remind his recipients of the teachings of Christ, which he learned firsthand in the ministry of Christ in the three years he followed him in Christ's ministry, um, but he also is referring back to Leviticus chapter 9, specifically verses 17 through 18. And it is of a serious offense to hate your brother, not only in the eyes of Jewish law, but here John is trying to drive home that it is of offense in the eyes of Christ to hate your brother, to hate the church, the person that sits in the left, to the left of your right. In which Jesus, when he was on earth in his ministry, fulfilled the law, right? The law that was in Leviticus. He fulfilled it. And what does that mean? Again, they had the law, the Ten Commandments, and for us, under the New Covenant, he said, he summed it up in two things, love God and love others. Love God. Love the Lord your God with all your mind, with all your heart, with all your soul, and love others. And you love God, then you will not have any other gods before you. When you love God, then you will not commit adultery. If you love God, then you will not steal. If you will love God, then you will not covet Love God, and your love by God is measured by your love for the person to your left and your right. Here in verses 11 through 12, again, John continues as he unpacks it. He uses a negative example in Cain, who was not right with God. His works were evil, who hated his brother Abel. And see, when two children are both not right with God, when they both are right with God, I'm sorry, not when they are right with God, there will be love. Even though there's disagreements, there's fights, and there's bickering, at some point they'll be right. And you see, one of the most unloving and unchrist-like characteristics we can express to one another is disdain or jealousy. 
specifically towards another's growth and success. We must be aware of anything other like taking root in our hearts, which can begin with jealousy and evolve into hate. The murder of Cain did not begin in the physical act of the murder, which was the end results, but the murder began in Cain's heart. This is the teaching of Christ, that when we are in violation of sin, when we are in violation, when we are in sin of the law, by the state of our hearts, what happened with Cain, by allowing hate in his heart to remain, he allowed hate to remain in his heart to remain instead of giving glory to God for the better offering that his brother Abel gave, instead of being happy for his brother's success. And instead of confessing his jealousy to his brother and to God to try and be made right, instead he let the hate sit and fester and it evolved into jealousy, which eventually evolved into murder. And in the eyes of God, in the eyes of God, it is still murder because when we hate, it is murder in the heart. And see, uh, the Apostle James has an interesting way of putting this in James chapter 3. He says this, but if you have addressing specifically jealousy, if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not boast about it or um, be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exists, there will be dishonor and every vile practice. When we become enticed with sin, we make ourselves susceptible to demonic influences, even though we are saved. I know this type of language is harsh, but there is something not right when one grows in their hate and resistance toward another that is genuinely honoring and practicing righteousness for God. There's something not right if we are jealous of someone that is doing that, like Cain was with Abel. And if this doesn't edify you or encourage you and cause you to, in, and instead causes you to increase in your hate, which again can evolve into jealousy and disdain, there's something not right about that. There's something not right going on in our heart. If this is the end result when we see another brother and sister practicing righteousness. And James says, with the harsh words, he says, this is demonic. It's demonic. James also says that this type of mindset is earthly. Basically, it's not of God. And when we cannot be happy for another's success because, you know, we don't have what they have or not excelling in a place in their life where we are not, you know, they, they are excelling and we are not. This is not of God. And John in verses, uh, in these specific verses in 11 through 12 says that this is, we are like Cain when we're like this, who practice hates over love, and it is of the evil one. When we abide in hates over love and are comfortable there, this can even indicate that potentially that person wasn't even saved to begin with. To put it more in plainly, to abide in hates over love. We are comfortable there. That could be a potential indication that that person may have not been saved to begin with. And see, you know, sometimes you hear this term, and, you know, this is something you may want to challenge and think over as I say this. Um, you know, we don't want to judge people if they're saved or not. That's too judgmental. 
You know, we, we uh, you know, it's just, it's, we're being too judgmental. And, you know, in Matthew, when Jesus is talking about don't judge others, he's talking about in a Pharisaic way. Like in the Pharisees, the way they did it. They judge and they condemn people because of works instead of grace. And that's the idea behind that teaching. But the reality is we make judgments all the time, don't we? Whether to go to a safe neighborhood, you know, whether what we eat or where we shop. And the same way, you judge, you make judgments also by spotting what you are. By spotting what you are. And I've used in the past this illustration of Brother Josh Flores, I don't know where he is, but how he's, you know, studying to be a firefighter, and I don't know if he's accomplished it. I think he has. But let's say, uh, you know, hypothetically, I'm going to paint a scenario real quick. Let's say, uh, you know, Josh is, you know, starting as a new firefighter, and he's having fellowship with uh, Carmelo uh, Sosa and uh, Fernando Vargas. And they're all chilling in a circle, talking about what it means to be a firefighter. You know, and they're vet firefighters, and Josh is beginning, right? And let's say I come in that circle, and, you know, they're giving Josh advice on what to do and what not to do. And I come in that circle, I'm like, yeah, Josh, bro. And I start talking and giving them advice, too, talking like I'm a firefighter. Like, yeah, bro, when you swing your axe, swing it this way, bro, because it looks good, you know? <laughs> swing your vertical. And I start giving them all this advice. Yeah, bro, I'm a, you know, and then when you tilt your hat, do it this way and take a selfie and everything. That's how you do it, bro. And, you know, it's like I know everything what it means to be a firefighter. And Carmelo and uh, Fernando and um, uh, Mike Sosa may look at me and be like, bro, what are you talking about? They're going to be able to make that judgment because they can judge by who they are, by what they are. That, yeah, Flavio, you're not a real firefighter. Everything you're saying makes zero sense. That's not what it, being a firefighter is about. And that's the same way. You know, we don't want to be quick to make judgments and say, oh, yeah, you know, like condemning people. But God will give us discernment to some degree if a person is saved or not. And this is important because it's important how we interact with that individual and how we love them. Do we love them to lead them to Christ or do we love them to edify and encourage them? And that's something John specifically points out here. Let us continue on in verses 13 through 15. Please follow along as I read. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death, and everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. In verses 13 through 15, we see John explains what it means to abide in hate further. His explanation is to not be surprised and uh, explicitly uh, from his own firsthand life in Christ. Do not be surprised if the world hates you because it hated Christ first. So when the world hates you, do not be surprised by that. And as I mentioned earlier, that how Christ fulfilled the law through his ministry here and all on, on earth, sorry, on earth, also, also in a, our previous sermon series, how we expounded on that through... Um, the fulfilling of Christ in the Old Testament to unpack of how Christ fulfilled the law and fulfilled Old Testament prophecy. And see, we should not be surprised when the world hates us. Because see, God sent his son Jesus, who was love incarnate. And what was the world's response to him? 
They crucified him. They killed him. So we should not be surprised when we follow Jesus wholeheartedly that the world may hate us. Let me share with you out of the words of Jesus himself in uh, the Gospel of John 15, chapter 15. It says this, if the world hates you, you know it hated me before it hated you. And if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Verse 20, remember the words that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted you, if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. And if they kept my word, they will also keep yours. So if the world hates us because of Christ, again, it's to be expected. We should not be surprised by this. And John explains this both from the teachings of Christ firsthand and even witnessing the crucifixion firsthand. Okay? So in this text in 1 John, this isn't the young youth John anymore. This is the old vet John, the gray-haired John, the John in his 60s, 70s. You know, and he's lived it out and he's speaking from not only from what he's seen in Jesus, but throughout his own life and his experience. And see, but the point in John mentioning this is verses 13 and 15 is do not be surprised that the world hates you, but what is surprising is when a brother hates you because of Christ. This should not be so among God's people in God's church. This is worldly, sensual, and demonic, as James told us earlier. And John explains that if this exists among God's people, then they may have not even, there's a chance they may have not even crossed over from death to life. And see, we know that we crossed over from death to life. Why? What does John say? Because our love for each other. As you can imagine, that it took Abel by surprise that he would have never expected to be murdered by his own brother. He would expect perhaps competitiveness and even jealousy at times. Because brothers fight. Family fights. But they don't kill each other. When we hear on the news about family members murdering and killing each other, our perspective, no matter how many times we hear it, is disbelief. It's a surprise. And this is a whole new level of evil. Because you, because you ain't a saint if you abide in hate. And in the eyes of God, to have hate in the heart is equivalent to murder. Because Jesus is a God of life, not hate. Because the love of Christ is authentic. And it's authentically sacrificial and unconditional. And as we as God's people, we are not to love conditionally. But our aim is to practice love unconditionally by loving others with the love of Christ. Point B, if you aim to practice love unconditionally, you will love others with love of Christ. See, what makes us not of this world and stand out is that we are incapable of loving unconditionally. We are. To love with God's unconditional love takes something not only 
outside of us, but it takes something outside of this world. It takes someone who is not of this world. Please listen as we read on in verses 16 through 18. And John continues to unpack this. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has his world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or in talk, but in deed and in truth. One of the most ultimate displays of love a person can make for someone else is to lay down their life for them. And John's description of Christ displays love for us that not only communicates what the love of God is, but also what the love of God's standard is. Now the reality is most of us may not get the opportunity to physically lay down our lives for each other. But the way John explains this that we ought to lay down our lives in a spiritual sense, meaning because the life of a Christ follower is from the inside out, not from the outside in. And to have a heart of hate in one's heart towards another brother is murder in the heart. But the opposite of hate is to love. The opposite of taking a person's life is to give up your life instead. And the way to give up your life, John gives a positive example in Christ. But then he goes on to tangibly explain what this looks like. And what he says is, if we have this world's good and see those in need and do nothing, then how can we say we have the love of God? Because we are not loving each other. The idea here is that we love one another not based on our terms, comfort, convenience, but we love others when we do not look, overlook the need of our fellow sister and brother in Christ. So the example John gives of Christ laying his life down is not simply just to set an example, but it is to meet a need that only Christ can fill. And see, what is our need? What is the need of us as a human race? Well, We are sinners deserving of death. And God sent his son Jesus to die as a sacrifice and propitiation as our Savior and Lord. Because we are lost and in need to be saved. And the only one that can do this and meet that need is Jesus. In the same way, if the person on your left or your right has a need that God has equipped you or blessed you with to be used by him to strengthen, help, or assist them in the area of their greatest need, to give of yourself because of the love of Christ, and this may even cost you something. This goes beyond the territory of, this goes with the territory of being a disciple of Christ, to give up our time treasures, and talents. And you see, I've said this before, when Paul says it's better to give than to receive, the idea of it being better to give than to receive is because when we are giving of ourselves by the love of Christ, it's when we are most like Christ. And when we 
take. And all we do is take. Take of resources. Take of time. You know, take of talents of others. But we don't grow. We just take, 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 and consume, consume, and consume. This is not godly. And this is not of Christ. And see, John basically says, do not cheapen our service and our love to each other. And he addresses this again by saying this in verse 18. He says, little children, let us not love in word or in talk, but in deed and in truth. So when we bless one another in the name of Christ, through our world's goods, through our time, treasures, and talents, where there is no ulterior motives or expecting something in return when we help another brother and sister in Christ. But to simply minister to another through the love of Jesus. Let us not cheapen the name of Christ this way, but to love one another through the love of Christ in deed and in truth. Because the love of Christ is authentic. It's sacrificial and unconditional. Uh, a good biblical example of this is um, in Corinthians when Paul was talking about the Macedonian church. And they didn't have much money. They actually uh, were living in poverty. But yet, in their poverty, they went without need and they gave to each other out of their poverty. And somehow they were able to make it and thrive as a church that was lacking resources because they sought to love each other in this way. And see, and that's that's the goal, church. That's the goal. And if I could just even share with you an example of this, and unfortunately it's not the best example. One of the previous churches I've worked at, I won't say the name of it, but um, uh, during the summertime, uh, youth camp becomes a big thing, right? And I was serving as a young adult and uh, youth pastor, and um, throughout this church, we didn't have very many resources, but... Um, but I, we still needed to raise support to um, send our youth to camp so their lives would be changed and uh, ministered and just have some time away from the difficult neighborhoods and just have a week of just hearing Christ and not stop, right? And so anyways, so the first year of, of raising funds for camp, you know, I raised funds from past people I ministered with, past people I went to college with, past friendships. But in addition to that, I also raised some funds through the church. And I did it in such a way to where I, it wasn't just them giving money um, it's something I, I learned from my old youth pastor called uh, Rent a Teen. And basically, any of the youth that wanted to go to camp, they would have to work for someone in the church, you know, clean the yard, you know, uh, help with moving, something like that. And that would be like a percentage of money that would go to the camp. And so the first year, in addition to raising outside support, people in the church started to give, you know, and it was mostly staff and it was good. You know, and they would, you know, give 100, 200, and then, you know, we met, went, met the need. But then the following year, and it went so good the first year, like, you know, someone got saved, committed their life to the Lord, and then the following year, the, you know, summer number two, for whatever reason, no one in the church wanted to give. And it was really bizarre. I raised all this outside support. God provided through outside support, but no one in the church wanted to give. And I said, if at least, you know, there's a, like, 50 to 100 of us here, if at least one of us gives a dollar, we could at least raise $100, and that could go towards camp, and nobody gave. It was surprising, and to be honest, very disappointing and disheartening. And see, we ought not to be this way. We ought to love one another and meet 
each other's needs, through the world's good that God has entrusted us with. Moving on to verses 19 through 22. Please follow along as I read. By this we shall know that we are the truth and reassure our hearts before him. For whenever our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him, because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And as John continues to expound on what it means to love indeed in truth, he is once again providing a way to discern between the saints and the ain'ts. What gives us assurance that we are of God and of who we belong to, and if we are children of God or of the devil, is how we act. And it is, not by, it is by what we do. We must remember that in John chapter 1, where John was explicit in the opening of this series, explicit through the phrase of if we say, in verses 6 to 10 of chapter 1, First John chapter 1, verses 6 to 10, he says that if we say, does it match our behavior? If we say this and if, it doesn't, if what we, our behavior doesn't match what we say, it is telling of who we follow and of who we belong to. Now, right here at the end of chapter 3, John is reemphasizing the idea of if we say differently. Because the truth is, we all have a past, right? And even if you were a good person, or a moral person before you came to Christ, you were still a sinner apart from Jesus. You were just a moral sinner or a pagan sinner, but you were still a sinner apart from Jesus. And, but even for those of us that do have a past and do feel bad and sorrowful for our past sins and may still be recovering from some inward or outward struggle, John tells us here that we can reassure, be reassured because of the truth we have in Christ. We may still feel emotionally condemned for our past or for our present sin, but the truth of the gospel is that Christ is better, not only is better and greater, not only in our past, than our past sin and our present sin, but also our future sin. And when our motive in using our world's good aligns with being used by God to meet a need to please Jesus, we begin to comprehend his will for our lives. And when we ask from God, it isn't like going to a magic genie, asking simply so we can get what we want. And if we don't get what we want, then that means God doesn't love us. What it means that when we ask for something we ask in accordance with his will because our hearts start to line up with his. And we ask to show the love of Christ simply so we could keep his commandment by loving him to love by loving others. We ask for more in accordance for his will to be used by him more. And that's the motive and intention, not to ask just to get and to receive. And God's love is dictated for us because he doesn't give us what he wants. But when we ask, we, when our hearts start to align with his, we start to ask because we want to be used more for the kingdom because God has given us another day here on earth. And then we see a need and we ask God, give, please give me this resource. Give me this status, not because of me, 
but because I want to glorify you in this. Open up this door, God, if it's your will. Open up this door. Many of you know this. Um, my wife and I, our family, the Quintanilla family, we became homeowners in, um, during the pandemic, during 2020. And um, as I shared, we, we're going on 10 years of marriage at the end of this month. And throughout our marriage, and even before during our courtship, we were very desirous, you know, talking about a, a home. And so for the, for the majority of our marriage, you know, we lived in an apartment. But the idea of owning a home wasn't simply to achieve the American dream. Or to be honest, I shouldn't even say simply. It wasn't at all. It was because we wanted to host people. And at that time, we were between churches. We were thinking that, yeah, maybe we can uh, do a, a house church plant if God leads us to do that. And, you know, my wife, you know, and I hope it's okay to share this, she's even had a heart to foster teenagers because within the system, teenagers are the least ones that get fostered. And so she wanted to own a home for that. And we prayed and prayed and trusted God. And God provided during an unexpected time during the pandemic. And we were surprised. And when we owned the home, like right off the bat, something that God used our owning of a home, and many of you know this, of, of my mother-in-law who uh, had cancer. And throughout her time and throughout her care, because we owned the home by God's grace, because we owned the home, we were able to house her and, he, and give her the need that, uh, that she needed because we owned it a home. And even though previously we owned an apartment and it was a spacious apartment, a three-bedroom apartment here in Humble Park, it wouldn't have been enough. But the home that God has blessed us with worked. And God used that resource to meet that need. And we still want to continue to meet needs. There's people we had to stay over. There's people, you know, God is, there's been countless stories already in the time we've owned a home. And to the glory of God, right? All to his glory and to his alone. Please follow along as we wrap this up in verses 23 to 24. And this is the commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he commanded us. Verse 24, whoever keeps his commandment abides in God and God in him. By this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. The truth of the gospel that is in Jesus is we are no longer bound by our past sin. And though we may still struggle, Christ not only knows our hearts because, as it states in verse 20, he knows everything. Because he knows everything, he's greater than our hearts. So not only does he know my heart, but he knows your heart. He knows all of our hearts, and he knows the truth and knows ourselves better than we know. And he knows our sins and the deepest, darkest things in our soul. He knows and even though our hearts condemned us, and although we may struggle, still struggle with certain sins in our hearts, and our hearts are no longer at peace with that sin, the idea here is that we are no longer comfortable with that sin. And you see, this is a mark of a child of God. It isn't that we achieve sinlessness, because we will sin. But the idea is that as we grow in Christ, that we will sin less because of our relationship with Christ, not become sinless in this life. And there's people that believe that doctrine, that we can achieve what's called the glorified state. 
the perfect body to where we won't sin anymore. And some people actually believe that. And there's a classic illustration um, that uh, Spurgeon used of when he encountered someone that believed that they were without sin and they were chilling in a pub one day and they were talking and this person shared with Spurgeon, yeah, it's been eight years since I've sinned. And Spurgeon heard him, like, huh, okay. And so he takes a cup of water and he pours the water over the person's head. And the person starts to curse and shout all kinds of obscenities and bad language. And then Spurgeon's response said, he said to him, there's eight years of sin, of sinlessness down the drain. (laughs) See, but the idea here is that we are not comfortable in abiding in hate, but our desire is to abide in love. And because Christ is greater than our hearts and knows our hearts, the, the idea is to continue to seek to remain in Christ, to remain in his love. Now, you know, as I grow in my relationship with God, and I, and, uh, and I believe this could be the sense for many of us, uh, but I learn as I, the older I get, right, there's a saying, the older you get, the more you realize you don't know. Because the more you learn, the more you realize how much knowledge there is and how much more there is to know. But for whatever reason, I, I think for me personally, when I was younger, I thought I knew it all. I had this confidence. I thought I knew it all. And some of us tend to think that way. But when the older you get, the more you learn that you don't know. Now, here's the thing. When we grow in our relationship with Christ, we begin to understand the light of Christ as we draw closer and closer to our relationship. And the more and more lights we begin to see, the more and more light exposes more darkness. And for my own personal walk in Christ, every time I feel, I believe when I have grown, the more and more I believe God has continued to expose in me my darkness and my sin and my wickedness. And it, it reveals a reality of how dependent I need to be on him as we sung every hour. We need thee every hour. Because see, the more you spot and recognize what holiness is, the more clear you begin to understand and identify what unholiness is. And even though we may struggle with unholiness as we draw towards holiness, we will not be comfortable in that unholiness. And that is a mark of a child of God. Because God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Because the love of Christ is authentic sacrificial and unconditional. And we as God's people are not to love conditionally, but are to aim to practice love unconditionally by loving others with the love of Christ. In closing, a couple of questions for reflection. This has been a presentation one, of Good News Bible Church, where we equip people to love God, love others, and make disciples. To help support our mission, please visit our online giving portal through our website at www.goodnewsshine.org.